Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, church online this week, church at home. Uh, you know, we miss you terribly. We wish that you could be right here with us in service this Sunday morning, but uh, we're thankful to be able to come to you in your living rooms or wherever it is that you're at. And I want you to know that uh, we do miss you. We love you so much, and we have been praying for you. And we've got different things going on. We've started some prayer groups, and we went live uh, online uh, Wednesday night and did some Q&A, and we're going to be trying to do that again this Wednesday. So we've got some things that we're looking forward to, and we're wanting to stay connected with you. If you need anything, we want you to uh, get in touch with us as, as much as you possibly can, and we want to stay connected. We believe God's going to bring us through this, and, and it's, He's going to make us stronger through it. So we're glad to be with you once again. Now, uh, I want to speak to you this morning specifically. I believe it's a message. Uh, it, it speaks to the fact that we're getting ready to head into this Easter season, and we're talking about uh, Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. We're heading into that season, into that time. And actually, April the 8th, I believe, it's, it, it'll be next Wednesday, uh, is, is Passover. And when I read the story of Passover, I feel like it sort of relates to what we're going through now in, in a couple of different ways. But I want us to kind of focus on this. And, and, and we're going to take communion at the end of this message. So, so hopefully you have some things ready there together uh, to take communion at the end of this. But the message that I want to bring to you this morning, I want to call it a new Passover. And while you're there, while we're here, before we get started, I want you to just bow your heads right there in the house. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, this morning and deal with us through his word. Father, we are grateful, God, to be able to meet and, and be in your presence. You said, Lord, where two or three are gathered together, Lord, there you are in their midst. And Lord, we're gathered together here across different homes, and, and we believe that you are here in our midst, in our homes, in our presence, among our families. And so, Lord, we just pray peace would be released into these living rooms this morning and into our homes. And on the parents, on the children, Lord God, on every family. Release your spirit this morning, God, and allow your presence to just be made known in a miraculous way in their lives this morning. God, I believe you to touch each person. And Lord, to open our hearts, open our ears to receive what you want to speak to us this morning. And we'll give you the thanks and praise for it, God, in Jesus' mighty name. So we're talking about a new Passover. And Jesus, interestingly enough, he, he died on Passover. And, and you got to know that if, if Jesus is doing anything, he's intentional about what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knew why he was sent here. He knew that he was sent on a rescue mission. But I believe there's, there, there's something to the fact that Jesus made a decision specifically. He could have chosen any holiday, any Jewish feast he could have chosen to die on the cross. But he made a decision to die on the, the, the feast that they celebrated called Passover. And he knew that whenever he did that, the Jews would be, they would be in a certain mindset. There would be certain things that they understood about what God did in their communities, about what God did in their history. And he knew that in order for his death to mean what it needed to mean, then he needed to go and he needed to be crucified and he needed to be raised from the dead during that Passover season. And that's what he chose to do. Now, if you don't understand what Passover is, Passover was a time in Israel's history where the first Passover was when they were in bondage in Egypt. They were enslaved. They were a nation of people, but they had not yet entered into the land and become the nation of Israel in that land that God had given them. And so they had to go through this process of being delivered from that place, and that's where it was instituted called the Lord's Passover. Now, it happened the first time in the book of Exodus we read about it. 
And then after it happened the first time, God instituted it as a feast. And He said, you're going to do this generation after generation. You're going to continue to do it to remember when I brought you out of Egypt and I delivered you with a stretched out arm with a mighty hand. And so that was something that they did continuously to remind themselves of that. And Jesus is trying to say, look, what, what happened back then in the book of Exodus, I want you to understand that that happened with you, Israel, but that was actually pointing to something greater. And He's saying, I'm going to be doing that on a grand scale now. I'm not just delivering Israel from Egypt, but I'm delivering all humanity and all creation from the clutches of sin, from the clutches of Satan, from pain and suffering, and I'm bringing them into the fullness of what God has for them. Now let's, let's talk about Exodus because we'll be going to that book and we'll be reading in that and, and looking at what some things happen. But, but when, when we're in the book of Exodus or we're in the Old Testament, there's something called types and shadows. And everything in the Old Testament is written to point us to Jesus. And it's given to us so that we can understand our role in our relationship with God. And if you read the book of Exodus, Exodus literally means exit. It's about how God plans to get His people out of one place. He's taking them and, and, and giving them a means of escape from the place that they're in that He doesn't want them to be in. And He's moving them into a land flowing with milk and honey. He's taking them into the promises of God. Because every one of us, we start somewhere. But the truth is we start in a place that God does not intend for our lives. And He says, I've got to bring you out of that in order to bring you into something else. That's why the name of the book is called Exodus. Because they are leaving where they're not supposed to to be and they're moving into God's promises. But while we're talking about Exodus, you got to understand that they are in a place called Egypt. And Egypt biblically is a representation of this world system. It's a representation of sin and how we are enslaved to the powers of sin in this world system. Pharaoh is king over Egypt at the time, and that's really just a, a weird name for a king, but he is the king over Egypt at the time, and he represents Satan. He represents the powers of darkness that seek to enslave us and bind us up to keep us from the purposes of God in our lives. And also you have Moses, and we know the story of Moses. Moses is actually, he's, grown, he, he's raised in Egypt the same way that we're raised in Egypt, and the same way that God calls us out of Egypt, he called Moses out of Egypt. But when he called Moses out of Egypt, he had an encounter with God, and God sends him back in, and he becomes a type of Christ in order to lead those people out of slavery the same way that Jesus leads us out of slavery. And then lastly, you have the blood of the Lamb. And the blood of the Lamb is what we really want to talk about and focus on in this message because that is ultimately representative of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. And that's what brings freedom to those, to those men and women and children that were enslaved in Egypt. And so we, we understand that. Now, when we talk about enslavement, you read about enslavement a lot in the Bible. But, but here's what I want you to understand is that many of us, we deal with our own enslavements. And here in America, thank God, now we don't, we don't have to deal with slavery or any, time, any type of thing like that. So what we deal with is not a physical enslavement. What we deal with is a spiritual enslavement. And we are enslaved, to be honest with you, and I think, I think as we're going through these times, I've talked to a lot of people here recently that they're saying, you know, I've realized during this time of the coronavirus that there were things in my life that I've been enslaved to that I didn't even realize. And I think in this season, a lot of the things, a lot of our idols are, being, are, are coming to the surface and we're beginning to see things that had our affection, that drew us away from God and we were so consumed with certain things. But see, that, that's the thing. We, we, we are not enslaved by an outside force. We, are self, we have self-selected idols and enslavement. 
There are things that this world offers us. It may be food or sex or money or career or jobs or even family. It could be sports or entertainment. There are many things that, that, that vie for our attention. And then we, we, we pursue those things. And sometimes those things aren't even bad. But before long, they begin to enslave us. They become idols in our lives. And that's the position that the children of Israel, the people of God, found themselves in. They found themselves in this place where they lost their purpose. For over 400 years, they had been in Egypt, and slowly but surely, they fell away from the worship of the one true God. Egypt was filled with all kinds of idol gods, the same way that our world is filled with all kinds of idol gods. And slowly but surely, after 400 and some years, while they're in that, their hearts are turning from God, and, and these idols are, are coming into their lives, and they're being shaped and conformed by the world, but they are enslaved in this place. And here's what I want you to understand, that when we talk about our addictions to things and, and all, of the, all, all of these things in our life, we're not talking about the sense that we, have, we don't have a disease or anything like that. What we actually have in our idolatry and our, our bondage and our addictions to things is we have a worship disorder. That's, the, that's been the issue of all of life. And this is the reason why the very first commandment is that God says, I'm the Lord your God. You shall worship me only and have no other gods before me. Martin Luther said it like this. He said, if anybody is able to keep the first commandment, they'll have no trouble keeping the other nine. Because at the end of the day, what we worship determines who we become. What we worship determines what takes place in our lives. And anything that we worship other than God, when we worship the one true God, we enter into freedom. But when we worship other things in our lives, we slowly become enslaved. We slowly lose our purpose. We slowly lose the reason God created us to live. And we forget it and we get lost in this mess of a world the same way that they got lost in it. But see, in these times, the first thing that I want you to, to, to put down if you're taking notes, the first point that I want to make is obviously we are dealing with some difficult times. But when things seem bad, number one, when things seem bad, God always has a redemptive purpose. You can rest assured that God, again, is not taken by surprise by the situation that we're in. And he has a redemptive purpose for all of that. And he will work things together for good, even though he doesn't cause all things to happen. He can work all things together for good. Now, see, I want you to understand this, too, is that when God brings judgment on our false gods, that's what he's doing in Egypt. He's bringing judgment on the false gods of Egypt. But when God brings judgment, we always think of that for some reason or another in a negative term. But judgment is a very positive thing. Because when God brings judgment on our false gods and on our idols, it is ultimately for our good and it is ultimately to set us free. Amen. He wants to break the chains that bind us. And so if he brings judgment on any false gods in our lives, it's because his purpose is he wants to bring us into freedom. And I, I believe with all of my heart that even right now with these things going on, even though, I, like I've said, even on Wednesday night, I don't believe God caused the coronavirus, but I do believe that he can use it to identify things in our lives where we're, where we're looking at the wrong thing, we're focused on the wrong thing, and God is saying, you need to come back to me. You need to put your priorities in order. You need to get this worship disorder out of your life and you need to put me first in this situation. Now it all begins, I want to read some scripture to you. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, here's where it begins. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
God saw the people of Israel, and I love this, and God knew. Now that phrase, God knew, it should bring us comfort. It should bring us comfort because God knows exactly what you're dealing with in this situation. And many of us, we're dealing with things that we've never faced before. Maybe we're dealing with fear. We're dealing with wondering where resources are going to come from. And they were themselves enslaved. Maybe, maybe this coronavirus thing is not even a deal for you. Maybe you're literally dealing with addiction. Maybe you're dealing with a, the, a loss of a loved one. Maybe you're dealing with something that you don't fully understand. But the good news is, is you can translate that and God knew. It's a word in the Hebrew language. It can also mean that he is, was concerned with them. But the greatest translation of it means that he was experiencing what they were experiencing with them. And the beauty of it is, is we have a God that is not just far off out there that doesn't understand our sufferings. God became man and entered into our sufferings with us. I've been listening to a song here recently that has really moved my heart. and It gets stuck in my head all the time. And John Mark McMillan wrote it. And there's a, there's a lyric, there's a line that he wrote. He says, I don't have the answer for hurricanes or cancers, but a Savior who suffers them with me. And that's what we have. We may not have all the answers for all the suffering and the pain that we go through in this life, but what we do have is a God who says, I'm not going to leave you in there with it alone. I'm going to come and I'm going to enter into your suffering. I know what you're going through. I know the pain that you feel. And in the midst of that, I'm with you more now than I ever was. And I think sometimes when we enter into pain and suffering or doubt or fear, what we, what we question is whether or not God is with us in it. But see, God was with them in it, in their groaning. And notice, that's what it says. It starts to talk about how God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant. Now, all of us as human beings, there's something on some level, every single one of us, we recognize that something on the inside of us, we recognize, man, something's just not right with this world. Something is just not right with what's going on in the world. And these things, are, 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 are they're affecting me. And we have this inner groaning, this inner longing inside of our hearts. And many of you, you, you know what I'm talking about. Even when things are at their best, there's something on the inside of us that says something is just not right. Something is missing. Something is going on. And here's, here's what Scripture says. It says... In Romans 8, 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, what Scripture teaches is it's not just human beings that are groaning and longing for redemption, but all of creation is groaning. What I want you to understand is that this world itself, whenever humanity fell, all creation fell with it. That God designed this world, that there was not to be violence in this world, there was not to be sickness or disease, there was not to be storms or catastrophic events that destroyed people's lives. That is an effect of the curse and the fall that came into humanity and into all of creation. And just like we were talking about this week, is that, is that Jesus didn't just come to redeem humanity, He came to reconcile all creation back to Him. That He's going to, at the end of this thing, when He wraps it up, not only is humanity going to look like Him, but the earth is going to look like heaven. He's going to restore it and all these calamitous events are going to come to an end and they're going to cease and there's going to be perfect peace. There'll be no more hurricanes or tornadoes tearing things apart. And see, all creation is even groaning, waiting for this restoration. The earth itself is groaning. And if you go to the next verse, it says in Romans 8, 23, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. In the same way, the Spirit, this is verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless 
groans. Now, see, I, I love that because even in times like these or maybe when you're going through a difficult time, Scripture says we don't even know how we ought to pray sometimes. And maybe you felt like that. I know there have been times that I felt like that. But here's what he says. He says, we don't know what to pray as we ought. But he says, the Spirit, in the, if you read it in the Greek language, it says that when we start to pray, He takes hold together with us. And he's saying, I know you don't know how to pray, but you feel that little groan and discomfort on the inside of you? God hears just that little groan. See, the children of Israel, they didn't know how to pray. They didn't know God's covenant. So many of them had been there for hundreds of years, and all they knew was what the world had taught them. They didn't know the Word of God. They had lost their identity. They needed a Savior. They needed a rescuer. They needed help. They didn't know how to pray, but there was a groan on the inside of them, and God began to hear their groaning. And even when you don't know how to pray, if you will just go to the prayer closet and begin to say, God, I don't know what to pray right now but Lord would you help me would you take hold together with me and help me in my weaknesses and let's begin to pray and when that groan comes up I believe when that prayer comes up and just that inner groaning comes up God hears from heaven and I love what it says he heard from heaven and he remembered his covenant now I want you to think about that you say well I, why did God forget his covenant I don't believe that God forgot his covenant but there's something about God that he loves his children to remind him he loves to hear his children to remind him of his promises. In Isaiah 43, 26, he said, put me in remembrance. Put me in remembrance. Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7 says this, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, literally in the Hebrew language, it's the Lord's remembrancers. Take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. See, God never forgot his covenant, but there's something about the people of God when they begin to groan and say, God, you've made, you've made a promise, you've made a covenant with me, and I don't see that covenant being enforced right now. I don't see earth looking the way that it's supposed to look according to your covenant. I don't see my life coming into agreement with what your word says. And there's an inner groaning that the spirit begins to be released. And because you're, you're, you're interceding in that sense and you're giving him no rest, you're putting the Lord in remembrance. You're becoming one of the Lord's remembrancers. And I believe as a church, that's what we have to begin to do. We have to begin to give God no rest day and night, crying out saying, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our community, in our state, in our nation. Lord, we're interceding until you make this community, you make my family, you make our lives a praise in the earth that we become a reflection of your glory, of your love, and of your goodness. God, bring this into alignment. And see, that covenant gets enforced. We've got a covenant with God. And when I've got a covenant with God, I've got a covenant with God and my God is faithful. He's not going to ever let me down. He's never going to forsake his covenant. He's never going to leave me alone. He is going to keep his promises. But see, I'm going to remind him of those promises every day. And I'm going to, I believe that when we pray and we remind him, that covenant is enforced. That covenant that says, you know what? We've got the blood of Jesus applied to our life. Our sins are forgiven. Satan cannot touch us. We have a spirit that dwells in us that, thus, that is greater than any spirit of this world. And God has empowered us to live beyond what this world can do. He gives us a peace that passes all understanding. He gives us a joy in the midst of circumstances that is, that is beyond what we can even understand. It is a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And see, we have this covenant that Jesus has given us, and I believe that as we pray, God hears those groans, He remembers that covenant, and it begins to be enforced in our lives. And I believe right now cries are going up, the same way with the children of Israel. 
But God is beginning to hear those cries. And here's the second point that I want to make. I want to, I want to take a little break before we move on there. But it's because obviously prayer is important. And those people begin to cry out. And when God answered their prayer, see, what did God do? When he answered their prayer, he answered their prayer by sending them a deliverer. But see, he didn't send them Jesus in the Old Testament. He sent them Moses. But what I want you to understand is that God hears your cries. And Jesus, number two in your notes, Jesus is our new Moses. He is our new Moses. And here's the good news about Jesus is that God did not send Jesus to destroy men's lives. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but so that men might be saved. That all humanity might be saved. He says he didn't send his son Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is not coming to bring judgment on the world right now. He came to bring salvation to the world. And he's giving everyone an opportunity to respond to that salvation, that free gift of salvation that he offers. And, and, and even when we talk about how in the book of Exodus... There are these judgments that seem to be coming. Here's what I want you to understand. We should not look at God's judgments against Egypt as being against humanity. But we should look at God's judgments as being against the false gods of the powers of darkness that enslaved people. When God brings judgment, He's not just bringing judgment on humanity to hurt people. He is bringing judgment on the false gods that enslave us so that we could be set free from those false gods. And when Jesus shows up as the new Moses, He comes announcing the kingdom of God. And this is the part that I love because Moses comes in there and he's bringing something a little bit different. He is bringing these plagues of judgment on the gods of Egypt. But when Jesus comes, comes there, He brings something different and He begins to announce God's kingdom. And when He announces announces God's kingdom, what he's essentially saying is, I am bringing a totally different kingdom that is other than this world. The way that you see death and sickness and disease and sin and hate and violence in this world, he's saying, I'm bringing something that is altogether different. It is a heavenly kingdom and I'm changing things. Now, when Moses came, he brought plagues. And one of the things that's interesting is the first plague that Moses brought is that he brought a, a, a plague where he took his staff and he touched the Nile River and he turned the water to blood. Now, it's very interesting because at that time, they worshipped a god called Osiris in Egypt and they believed that Osiris was the god of the underworld and that his bloodstream was the Nile River. And so essentially what God was saying is he's saying, if that's what you all want to believe, if you want to worship gods other than me, then I will hand you over to those gods. And he turned their life source into blood because that was the type of God that they worship. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he comes as the new Moses. And what does he do? His first miracle was not to turn water into blood. He turned water into wine as a representation of the new life, the new celebration that he's bringing at a marriage ceremony. He's a new Moses with a different agenda, delivering people in a different way and bringing freedom to all who would believe in him. See, Jesus is a new Moses, and as such, Jesus brought new plagues that destroyed the world order. When Jesus came in, His plagues were not frogs or lice. His plagues were healing the sick, delivering those who were oppressed of the devil, reaching out and touching lepers and women who had issues of blood. His plagues were teaching people to love their enemies. He reached out with plagues of kindness and mercy rather than with plagues of destruction. 
Jesus was a new Moses. And what I want you to understand is that in this world, we're going to face some plagues. Right now, we're facing a sickness called coronavirus that is coming through this world. Our world is fallen, and these things are a result of sin and brokenness and the demonic entering the world. But see, Jesus says in the midst of plagues that are breaking out among the lost, the church has got to rise up and come with a different kind of an infection. And it is an infection of Jesus Christ that reaches out with healing, with deliverance, with love, with kindness that says, listen, we're going to love our enemies in the midst of all this pain because let me tell you something you don't see God so much when you see sickness and death you don't point at sickness and death and say see that's God no you point at people who are bringing healing to people who are sick who are ministering to those who are hurting who are comforting those in their need in need and are reaching out to the afflicted that's when you start to see God amen see Jesus is a new Moses altogether and as such it's so interesting because Moses see he even commissioned the 12 tribes to go into a conquest and take the promised land of Israel Jesus takes not his 12 tribes but he takes 12 disciples and he sends them on a conquest of mercy and healing to the afflicted throughout Israel Jesus is bringing something new in he's he's our new Moses he's a new redeemer and that's what we have to begin to fix our eyes on is what Jesus is doing. The third point, and I need you to understand this, because when God sends Jesus, he, he makes an emphatic claim, I believe, personally. And that emphatic claim that, that God makes in sending Jesus is that, number three, God desires all to be saved and experience freedom in Christ. He desires all to be saved and experience freedom in Christ. And most people would say, well, you know, Clay, that's, a, that's, that's just a con. Everybody knows that. And sometimes I wonder if people do know that. I think sometimes people struggle with that truth. In the Old Testament specifically, obviously, we, we discuss Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, he symbolizes Satan. And in a literal sense, he is the leading power of the world at that time. And he is influenced by Satan to bring destruction to God's people. And, 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 and Satan, through Pharaoh, is trying to hinder God's plan of redemption. He's trying to hinder the Christ that would come through Israel. He's trying to enslave them and bring an end to them. And God is saying, I cannot, I cannot allow that to happen. So God begins to bring judgments on that which is interfering with the salvation of the world. He begins to bring judgments on that which interferes with His love. And, and I, I would like to say this. I, I believe that God restrains a whole lot of evil on this earth. And you know, the Scripture even talks in Thessalonians about how there's a time coming where the restrainer is taking, taken out of the way. And when we talk about God's judgment and God's wrath, one of the ways that it's probably most fully revealed is when God simply lifts His hand off of the earth and lifts His restraint off of evil in order to allow evil to run its full course. And why does He do this? He does this because we reject God and we choose other gods. And there's a point where God begins to say, you know what, if that's what you want to do, if you want to reject me, then I will give you over to your choices and I will allow you to feel the consequences and the weight of those things that are going on. And to some degree, those are the things that are going on, not just on a, on a global scale. I mean, right now we're dealing with a virus that has touched the entire globe. But on, on a personal level, each individual, you see that in people's lives every day. They have, God has reached out to them. God has reached out to them. He's dealt with their hearts. He's drawn them. They've rejected a lot of times what God's wanting to do in their lives. And, and it seems like sometimes the more they reject it, the harder they get. And, and, and sometimes it's the more difficult to deal with they get and they reject the, the voice of God, the love of God drawing. And God in His mercy says, all right, and He lets you go. 
But even, even when God hands somebody over to their choices and their consequences, I believe it's an act of mercy because like we said in the beginning, he has redemptive purposes behind what he's doing. Now Pharaoh, Moses comes in, he confronts Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, God has sent me here. You need to let my people go. Pharaoh responds the same way that Satan does every time we begin to pray for those who are lost and broken and, and dying and struggling. He says, hey, I don't know the Lord. Neither will I let his people go. And, 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 and then he says, you know what? Matter of fact, let's make it harder on y'all. Let's put more burdens on you. Let's make it more difficult. Let's increase the labor. Because when you begin to seek God, sometimes it gets more difficult before it gets better, before it gets easier. And I think sometimes whenever we're pushing toward God, I believe, I believe that this possibly, what we're even dealing with in our world, that this possibly could be uh, an attack that is coming because God knows that His people are on the precipice of something. That we could be on the verge of, of some real breakthrough in coming into a, a move of God where people's hearts are awakened. And, and sometimes the closer you get to God, the more Satan tries to tighten it up to get you from moving forward. He says, listen, don't y'all believe these vain words. This man that's come here to set you free, y'all ain't getting out of here. I'm tightening it up. I'm increasing the labor. I'm making it more difficult. And it got difficult to the point that the people cried out and said, Moses, why'd you even come here to begin to bring us out? And he's made it worse. It's worse since you came here. But I'm telling you, just because it looks worse doesn't mean that it's not going to get better. God still has a plan. And sometimes when it's getting worse, it means because God is about to do something amazing. God is setting us up for something greater than we can imagine. As God is releasing these plagues on Egypt, it's very interesting. And it's kind of, it's kind of a, a, a deeper subject, but a lot of scholars will say this. A lot of scholars would say that these judgments being released are essentially uh, God allowing evil to defeat evil for His redemptive purposes. In other words, in the beginning God said, it says that God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And what you'll notice is when God speaks light into this chaos, that's what it means. It's literally an unfathomable chaos and darkness on the world and God speaks light and brings order into that chaos. That's what God does into our world. He speaks light into the darkness. He speaks order into the chaos. And what happens is, all of a sudden, when these plagues are released, God is lifting His hand and He's saying, those gods that you worship, they're going to cause nothing but chaos in your life. But if that's what you want, then I will lift my hand and I will allow that chaos to go back before I spoke life and light into your life. Because the ninth plague is what? It was a darkness that could be felt. It was that same darkness that covered all of creation before God spoke life into it. And the last plague, the tenth plague, was a plague that ultimately released the destroyer and brought destruction. Now, with each demonstration, see, there's demonstrations that came. Moses came in, and when he came in the first time with Aaron, God said, hey, hey, hey Aaron, drop your rod down there. And he said, it'll turn into a serpent. And Aaron dropped his rod before Pharaoh, and it turned into a serpent. And the magicians came in. And they did the same thing. They mimicked every miracle that happened. And they dropped their rod and it turned into a snake. But here's, here's the beautiful thing is that the one that Moses and Aaron dropped ate the other serpent. 
And I think there's some truth in there. I believe that here's, here's, here's the truth that you got to understand as a Christian person is that right now there's all kinds of lies floating around that are resisting the truth, that are trying to infect your mind. And what you need to understand is that the authority that God has given you in Christ, when you speak the life of God's word out over these situations, what you put out is going to swallow the lies of the enemy. And you're ultimately going to win because of the authority that you have in Christ. But see, here's what's interesting about that is every time that happened, even though they had a greater miracle with God, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he resisted them over and over and over again. Here's what it says in Exodus 7.13, right after they gave this demonstration. Pharaoh had an opportunity to respond in the beginning, but it says, And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And some will argue that, well, God hardens people's hearts. See, he hardened Pharaoh's hearts. But the, but, but the truth is, it, it says in, in the Scripture, 13 times it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. The first seven times, it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened in his own self. The last six times it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So you say, well, did God harden it or did Pharaoh harden it? And here's the real truth. The Puritans used to say this. They used to say, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. What does that mean? The same love of God that comes toward me and, co and, and comes toward another one, I may receive that, that love and be willing to lay down my idols and be willing to lay down my life and say, Lord, I'm open to you. I see your goodness. And when I lay it down, my heart melts and I'm open to him. But somebody else says, you know what? No, I want to hold on to my agenda. I want to hold on to my God. And because they will not relinquish control of their lives, that same love that is stretching out to them hardens their hearts. And you see the difference there. It's not that God is intentionally hardening someone's heart so they would, they would actually go against what His revealed will. It's that they have an opportunity to respond. And when they continue to reject it, sometimes the best thing that God can do is just strengthen their resolve in that. It's just like the prodigal son. The father says, you know what, son, if that's what you want to do, I'm letting you go into that. And sometimes people's hearts harden. But see, here's the beautiful truth. It's just like we said. The truth is, it's not that God wants to harden some people's hearts and not harden others. The truth is, everybody has an opportunity to respond. The scripture says that, that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It says that he desires that everyone, would, that no one would perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. He's dealing with people's hearts. And man, he is dealing with people's hearts right now. More than ever, I'm getting reports of, of, of people that are saying, you know what? Right now at work, there's things going on. We've never talked about God. We've always talked about frivolous stuff. But right here, we're beginning to talk about God right here up at, up at the hospital and in different places where people are working. They're saying, people are coming to me and they're asking me questions about the Lord because something is going on in people's hearts. What's happening? Hearts are melting. They're finally beginning to realize because their idols are getting hit. They're, they're, they're thinking, man, maybe I'm holding a little too tightly to this thing and maybe I need to get a different God in my life. Maybe I need to respond to the goodness of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the one who loved me and died and gave his life to save me, maybe I need to turn. See, the scripture says, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart like Pharaoh did. See, Pharaoh, no matter what he saw, no matter the judgments that came against his gods, he was not willing to relinquish his power, his control, and his idols. He wasn't willing to let it go. But here's the good news for those people who are willing to let go and say, all right, God, we're going to worship you. See, even though the enemy does not want to let you go, there's something that he cannot resist. There's a power that is greater than him. And in the scripture, what's so strange is it's the blood of a lamb. 
Now, if you didn't have Jesus and you didn't know that Jesus was called the Lamb of God that, that takes away the sins of the world, that would be one of the strangest stories of all time. We'd be wondering why in the world would somebody take a lamb, slaughter it, and put it on the doorpost, but see, it signifies something greater. And then my last point, number four, is that Jesus is our new Passover lamb. Jesus is my Passover lamb. He's your Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. John 1, 29 says, Behold, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, the new covenant which Jesus inaugurated, and we celebrate this new covenant, and then we're going to celebrate it here in a minute, with the communion meal, what Jesus was doing is he was reframing the Passover meal that they ate that night before they left on the Exodus. And, and Jesus, when he was betrayed by Judas the night before he went to the cross, what he was doing was he was eating that Passover meal with his disciples. And he was reinstituting a new Passover. And he was saying and revealing himself, presenting himself as that sacrificed lamb that would protect the people of God from the destroyer and free his people from that bondage. Now, in the first Passover, it was actually a time that was very similar to ours. Everyone was having to go into their homes for safety and protection. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 through 23. It says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the, door, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Now notice a few things about this. First of all, notice that there was one lamb for each household. Right now, God is doing something in our homes. God is doing something in our households, and He is calling parents, men, fathers to rise up and begin to apply the blood of the Lamb to their homes. I believe that with all of my heart. And in our families right now, He's saying, for each man, for each man, he had to take that responsibility. He had to understand that in my home, the only way that my home is going to be safe, the only way that I'm going to be safe for the, the destroyer, my children are going to be safe from the destroyer, is if I take action and I take a lamb that is without spot, without blemish, and I sacrifice that lamb and apply it to the doorposts of my home so that the destroyer will pass over. Amen? You have to take that responsibility. It's time for people in their own homes to not simply rely on a pastor or a church building to disciple their children and raise them. It's time that you have a relationship with God where you apply the blood of the lamb to your home and you say, we're going to protect our children and we're going to say, destroyer, you can't come over our house because the blood has been applied here in our home. See, the blood is not just over the church building. The blood has to be in your house. The blood was applied not in the sanctuary, not in the temple. Moses said, y'all got to go into the homes. You got to stay in your house. Same way they're telling us to stay today. Stay in your house because the destroyer is coming. But he said, if I see that blood over the doorpost, over the lintel, and it was in the shape of the cross because the lintel was on the top and the doorposts were on the side, that blood was in the shape of the cross. He said, if I see that, then I'm going to pass over. 
And they took that hyssop and they dipped it in a basin and they applied it to the sides of the doorpost. The scripture said, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And because we did not love our lives to the death, you could even say that we overcome when we testify personally to what the blood of Jesus does for us. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus justifies us and declares us righteous. The scripture says that the blood of Jesus has redeemed us out of the hand and the bondage of sin and the enemy. The blood of Jesus has given us access to the Father. The blood of Jesus has given us new life and given us this life of Christ. And we have that blood in our life through faith in Jesus. God was going to redeem them. And see, on the night of the Passover, Jesus ate this Passover meal with his disciples. And they would take four cups to represent the four promises that God gave them in Exodus chapter 6. And they would drink through these cups. And the third cup was called the cup of redemption. And whenever it came to the cup of redemption, Jesus stood up in the room among his disciples and he said, listen, this is a new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. This blood is a new Passover. I'm the new Passover lamb. This blood is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He's saying, you guys need to get ready because a new Passover is coming. Something bigger is happening than what, than what happened in the Old Testament. And I love what happens because on the following day, on Passover, the high priest would actually go into the temple and he would go into the temple and he would offer, he would go in at 9 a.m. and he would offer a sacrifice at 3 p.m. and he would declare it is finished. He would do that every Passover, year after year after year. In remembrance of Passover, the lamb had to be offered for the sins of the people. But you know, that night, early in the morning, that night, Jesus had went to Caiaphas, who was the high priest, and Caiaphas, who was an illegitimate priest, he tore his garments, and according to Old Testament biblical law, if you tear your garments, you are unfit to offer the sacrifice as the high priest. So he couldn't legitimately offer that, that, that Passover the next day. The beautiful thing is, is that Caiaphas was not the true high priest because he had been instituted by the Roman Empire and put in place. The true high priest at that time was a man named John the Baptist because he was the son of Zacharias. So if you read, he was the high priest. And by lineage, John the Baptist was the next high priest. Now, when they passed down priesthoods, they would do it through baptism. And when John the Baptist was baptizing out in the Jordan, Jesus came to him and John said, I can't baptize you. And he said, no, let it be done to fulfill all righteousness. And when he baptized Jesus, the priesthood was being transferred to Jesus. And Jesus went the next day. But see, he didn't just go as the lamb. He went also as the high priest. He was both the high priest and he was the lamb. And they hung him on that cross. And as high priest, he laid down his life. And he offered that sacrifice. He was hung on that cross at 9 a.m. when they should be hanging, when they should be sacrificing that Passover lamb. And he hung until 3 p.m. when the last offering was made. And at 3 p.m., he offered that final sacrifice. And he said, it is finished. And when he said it, the veil tore from top to bottom in the temple as if to say, I've applied the blood of Jesus, not just to a temple, not just somewhere behind a veil, but I've applied it in heaven, in, in heaven, in the heavenly sanctuary. And now you have access to the father. And Jesus did that for you and I 
Our sins have been dealt with forever. And because of that, we have God's favor. We have salvation. We have eternal life. And we have this promise that the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to our lives. And there are certain things now that cannot touch us. Even if death takes us in this life, and most likely it will, Jesus Christ is going to raise us back up at the end of this thing. We have a promise. We have a hope. We have a future in Jesus Christ. And see, communion is our greatest representation of this truth. The Lord's Supper is our greatest representation of this truth. And it is a sacrament, which is a physical expression of a heavenly reality. In Exodus 12, 11, it says, And thus shall you eat with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, and a staff in your hand. In other words, he's saying, I need you to eat this in faith, and I need you to eat it, eat it in expectancy because God is about to bring deliverance and he's about to fulfill his promises in your life. This is the last scripture I want to read. It's in Psalm 105, verse 37. Passion Translation says this. At last, God freed all the Hebrews from their slavery and sent them away laden with the silver and gold of Egypt. And not even one was feeble on their way out. See, God is about to bring us out of this thing. But let me tell you something. Whatever we go through, I'm telling you, if you will continually allow the blood of Jesus by faith to be applied to your life, God is going to bring you out. He's going to bring your deliverance. And I believe that if you'll eat this right now with an expectancy that God's going to invade your home. He's going to invade your life. He's going to set you free. He's going to bring peace into your life and saying, I'm going to bring you into another place right now if you'll believe it. I'm going to bring you out with an abundance and not one is going to be sick among you. Not one is going to be feeble among you. That's how we want to believe. We want to have faith for that kind of a protection and apply that blood to our lives. So if you have the elements, we've got one here. Buddy Vars said, like I said, sometimes if you have to really scrap it together to get peanut and orange juice, you know what I'm saying? Do what you got to do. Kool-Aid, grape juice. There's a few of us here. We got four or five of us here together and we're there with you right now but I want us to pray because we're going to honor the Lord and his sacrifice he said as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me and this is a real way a living way that we can do it in our homes you don't have to be at church to take communion but we can come and we can say Lord would you search my heart would you purify me would you begin to to deal with me and, and Lord I don't want my heart to grow hard and to resist what you're doing in my life I want my heart to be open God, to what you're doing in these times. And, and Lord, we're asking you to have your way in our homes. And So if you, if you have that, I want you to take it. I want you to get ready to receive it with your families. And even if you don't have it, you can pray and, and speak the blood of, of Jesus over your children, over your home, over your family. But Lord, we lift this body up to you and we ask you to bless it right now in Jesus' name. Lord, your body was broken for us. And in your body, Lord, you received those stripes on your back. And your word says that by your stripes, Lord Jesus, we are healed. Lord, we intercede this morning on behalf of people that are dealing with sickness and disease. And we pray, God, that, Lord, you would bring a stop to that sickness and disease, that you would bring healing, that you would minister healing and transformation into people's lives. And in our own bodies, God, would you protect us, Lord. And, Lord, we receive your healing. We receive the covenant. Lord God, and we pray that that covenant would be enforced in our homes right now. In Jesus' name, just receive that. He took the cup of his blood and he said, this is shed for you. It's a new covenant in my blood. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. It's for the forgiveness of sin. So Lord, we come to you as a people, as individuals, as a community, as a nation, and we confess our sins to you, Lord. Why don't you do that right now? Just 
confess your sins to it. Lord, we confess our sins to you. We repent, Lord. We turn to you. God, we lay down our idols. We need restoration in our lives. And Lord, right now we plead this blood over our lives that offers us forgiveness and renewal. That brings us back into your presence. And Lord, we plead this blood, Jesus, over the doorposts of our home and over our children right now in Jesus' name. And God, as we receive it, we know that we receive the fullness of your life. And Lord, we proclaim that right now in our homes. And Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for your sacrifice. You are our new Passover. You are delivering us. You're bringing us into the fullness of your promises. And we receive it in full faith. Receive it. Listen, it was so good to be with you this morning to just discuss some things about the Lord, about the goodness of God. And I want you to meditate on that this season because, like I said, we're going through a season where this is kind of like a real Passover for us. But I want you to be at peace. I want you to be in prayer. I want you to stay focused on the Lord. Not long from now, we'll be back together. But while we're going through this time, be sure to pray for one another. Be sure to stay connected with people. Be sure to love on as many people as you can. Call somebody today and tell them how much you love them. Be good to one another. And just keep your eyes focused on Jesus. He's going to bring us through. He is our deliverer. He is our Savior. But we love you. We thank you so much for being with us. We just speak a blessing on your home. God bless you. Thank you for being with us this morning.